So anyways, um, I'm going to pray again. Lord, we just thank you so much for the time of worship that we had this morning. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is communing with us and that we are um, we're inclining our ears to hear what you're saying, to listen to you as you speak to us as we worship you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would continue that process, and I pray that you would just um, speak through me the words that you want to say to us, and that um, we would grow deeper in our revelation, our wisdom, and our understanding of the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, this morning I had originally, I thought I was going to be talking about fasting, because we're in a fast, you know, and I just kind of really thought, I don't want to come and revisit this subject. Um, But I really felt like the Lord had kind of moved me in a different direction. But I will just briefly mention to you, like related to the fast, um, that if you are, um, first of all, if you haven't started in it, you know, there, you you can jump in at any particular point in time. I mean, uh, fasting is meant to be a regular part of our, of our Christian walk. And it's not something that we are, um, it's not something that we're doing for God, but really it's about posturing ourselves so that we just can hear ourselves, hear him better, that we can be more aligned to him. And so we all want that right now. And it's so important right now. So just want to just encourage you in that and whatever the Lord has talked to you about doing in that aspect, whether you're adding something, removing something, doing a combination of both, um, but just continue to um, let the Lord really lead you and to um, and to be in that time because it's definitely um, yeah it could definitely be a blessing. I I feel my spiritual attentiveness more keenly when I am connected with Him in the in the time of fasting. So there's my little fasting tidbit. Um, and by the way, the, re- the reason why we're fasting is because I felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit related to things that are happening in Israel. And we are always praying for Israel. But this is definitely a time of fasting and praying. So, so there. So where the Lord kind of shifted me was really to re- related to this the fact that the things we see in Israel, um, it's considered to be the prophetic time clock, really, the way that you see events happening in Israel. And so I think that since we've been watching these prophetic time things, and these are things that have been taught into for now going on seven years, our, our eyes are all attentive to what's happening. Our eyes and ears are attentive to what's happening. And, and what we can certainly see for Israel is that pressure is increasing. And as Tom has often said, whatever, what happens in Israel spreads its way outward to the rest of the world. And so um, the pressure that we're seeing there is a preview of coming attractions for us. And so not only are we praying for Israel, but we are praying for our own hearts. And so the perspective that we can have on pressure is how, are we, how do we respond how respond during that time. So I'm just going to talk about this topic and try to highlight a little bit about how this connects to to King David. Um, 
these, if you think about trials, they are testing, um, pressure. It's like the, the trials, they try us. <laughs> they try us. They test us. They're, um, some might say that they are trials that are meant to reveal our character, who we really are. I would say a more accurate way of saying that is who do we believe that God is? What are we placing our confidence in? What are we placing our trust in? I mean, this is usually the things that get exposed um, in the middle of the struggle. The things there, a good way of looking at it is the areas that we're really not trusting God in. Like the things that don't, that I, maybe my friend is wrestling with more and I'm not wrestling with as much in that area. Maybe that's an area that God's already been really working with me a lot on. And maybe that's their area right now. But there might be another area that my other friend is like. I certainly see this when I'm thinking about parenting. Somebody that has been further along the parenting road than I have been, you know, and then you can kind of see this, you know, uh, uh, this knowledge or this understanding, not everybody, but some of them have arrived at of like, yep, after a certain number of children and a certain number of trials and struggles, the Lord has taught me some things, you know, and it's just this knowing that you see in their eyes and you can feel the wisdom when they're talking to you about that thing because they have been down that road or that wrestle. I'm just maybe using that as one particular example. But it's definitely an exposing of the areas where we haven't trusted I, or that we still need to grow in our faith. I, I love the phrase that Tom has used for years, which is that God knows how to uh, release, the, he knows the exact amount of pressure to reach us at the deepest heart level, um, to reach the greatest number of people in our case, to reach the greatest surrender in our heart. He knows the, the pressure that each of us have is going to be a different kind of pressure on what he's working on within us. And it could be like there's a pressure area that he's allowed in your life that is you're, the fruit of that and what you did with that is going to be such a blessing, not only to yourself, to other people, but certainly the pressure is revealing the hidden things. It's revealing the, the attitudes, the unsurrendered areas, like wrong attitudes, things that are out of alignment, things that he really wants to bring into freedom. He really wants to liberate us. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is often referred to like, I'm making the choice to do the bad thing. I think we think of it that way, like, you know, your temptation, your anger, you know, to murder or slander or get impatient or whatever the thing might be. But I think it's it's also just looking at these these subtle things of, you know, am I worry, anxiety? Like, I think about if I'm not believing God in an area, um, I mean, that I just need to remind myself, this is sin. <laughs> I'm not trusting him. I'm not believing him. If I'm, if I'm expressing something that is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, I've got the fruit of the enemy, and that means I'm not perfected. In his love, I'm not trusting in that, him in that particular area. Um, but he's, he's saying, like, you're in good company. This is, uh, you're, no temptation is, is, is something that, you, that is not common to people, but I'm faithful. 
I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm, I'm, I, there's an answer. It's not that you, it's not that, that there, there can be a temptation that is beyond your ability if you stay in it by yourself. But with me, I can provide a way of escape. I can help you. Um, I can help you. Um, and sometimes I think that way of escape is in the area of our thoughts. It's like I'm going to move away from the way that I'm looking at a situation and I'm going to move into the way that he's looking at a situation. What is it from his perspective? So I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I'm doing better in an area than I actually am. And then maybe some unforeseen challenge trial brings it to light. Anybody been there? Right? You're like, oh, I got this. I'm doing so good. And then something else comes up, and you're like, oh, I, maybe I'm not perfected in this area as much as I thought I was. So um, maybe the thing would have gone unnoticed, but it gets exposed. Something that you think, all right, I'm fine. I was thinking about this uh, as I'm taking this um, music theory class with Peter Webb, and I'm thinking, I think I've got a concept down. Maybe I think I've got it down, but I really find out when I get the homework back with the red pen. The red pen, that is the truth teller. <laughs> uh, and it really does a great job at confirm, like helping me to see, well, this is the area you've got, and this is the area you definitely don't got. You know what I mean? And it's usually like, it's not the easy problems, it's the hard problems. Those are the ones that are like, okay, you think you got it, but try this. And it's like, extra credit. No, you don't have it. <laughs> so it's not enjoyable, but it's valuable when God is confronting and confirming our strengths and our weaknesses. So trials are working something in us, steadfastness, patience, but also many other areas. Trial is exposing the negative qualities that we have. I mean, maybe negative qualities. It's probably not a, it's probably an oxymoron, but like mindsets, attitudes um, that God wants to expose. He allows the pressure to reveal the hidden things of the heart. And they're exposed, and when we see them, it's our opportunity to invite his power into those areas. This is the first line of action. It's just like saying it's, it's the recognition of it. That's the whole thing of like our redemption starts with the repentance. Lord, I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. Help me, right? That's always the beginning. So until they're exposed, they can't be dealt with. And the reality is that sometimes there's these things that we think We've got, but we don't got. And that's where the trial is coming in to really, really reveal that thing. Um, there's suffering that we can experience, and we can know that that isn't because God is trying to, like, it's, I'm not saying every situation God is using that to sift us in some way. I mean, we live in a fallen world. There are unjust, horrible, evil things that happen um, because we live in a fallen world. But there are trials that God allows, and those things are his mercy. Now, I believe everybody in here probably knows this, but I need to be reminded of it. And so I'm assuming that you might need to be reminded of it, that we can say, like, you know, Romans 8, 28, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So whether it is something that he allowed or arranged, or it's is a result of living in this fallen world, sinful world, his goodness, his, his mercy, 
all of his attributes, that if I adopt those and believe in those, then he actually still can redeem the darkest, most evil thing. I, I choose to believe because of the good God that he is, that the situation in Israel, even the most horrific, evil thing that is happening there, that, that he can redeem it. That he can, um, he can, he said that the, the darkness will never outpace the light. Ultimately, he wants to work it for our good. Romans 3, 5, 5, 3 through 5 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation per- produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So I love that. Hope does not disappoint. <laughs> Because of what? The love of God. It's poured out. His love is with us in it. You're not alone. I'm holding you, he says. I'm with you. I'm walking with you every step of the way. I really like the amplified version of the same verse, Romans 3, 5, 3, 3 through 5. Um, moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles. Okay? <laughs> feels like, let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. That's just verse 3. Verse 4, and endurance or fortitude develops maturity of character, approved faith, and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. I remember listening to a, um, it was it, it's a it was a, um, I think by Tom Doyle, and it was about persecuted Christians. And I'm listening to these situations of Christians in the Middle East. Like you've got this one pastor that they're 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 trying to kill him over and over again. Like death threats are like a daily thing for him. They're like, hey, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill your family. We're going to, you know, it's like a daily, daily thing for him, you know. And, and just he's learning to deal with that and learning how God trusted, d- delivered him over and over and over again. It just got to the point where he was so surrendered. Like, if it's my time, it's my time. But if it's not, you know, he's got me. He's with me. He's with my family. I'm choosing to trust him. I'm choosing not to be in torment. This is a situation where some serious endurance and fortitude has gotten developed in him, and it happened through the fire. Verse 5 in Amplified, last one. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us, for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's, he's, we're, not, we're not forsaken. It, hope in him is never going to disappoint. It's the hope of something greater. It's the hope of something beyond all of the darkness. It's the hope of redemption. It's the hope that God knows how to turn it all around if I'll just continue to choose and believe that. The trials and the tribulations. So I think these terms, often they get used interchangeably, but they actually are are different. They have different meanings. Trial refers to a formal, like, examination, testing kind of thing I was talking about. You know, it's just like, what's your knowledge? What's your ability? What do you know? What don't you know? That kind of thing. But tribulation actually refers to the state of trouble, suffering. Think the Middle East. Think Israel right now. Um, 
it's, it's intense adversity. And according to the Bible, the difference between tribulations and trials is that the tribulations test us or put us through extreme extreme suffering, but trouble or even death because we believe in Jesus Christ. In other words, yeah, the difference between the tribulation, I don't want to confuse the two, that test is what I just described, like knowledge, skill, but the tribulation is meant, it's just, it's extreme suffering to to say, like as a believer, like, am I really holding on? Am I, am I not going to deny him? Am I going to take the hard, narrow road? Or am I going to try to be like, I'm done. I, I can't take it anymore. Um, this is it. I've reached my limit. You know, the tribulations is testing like where, what am I really putting my trust in? I mean, how could, if any of the stories that we've read about tribulation, like how could any of them do it without him? I could not, if I was being, you know, tortured, I could not, not deny his name if it weren't for superna- a supernatural intervention in my, in my life. Does that make sense? This is the testimony of the saints and the martyrs that it was the supernatural trust that they were perfected out of their own resources <laughs> and they were completely dependent on his resources to walk out a situation. He allows the struggle for his greater glory. Like, I can say, kind of going back to the verse I just read, I can say with all honesty that I am not full of joy, exulting, and triumph, triumphing in trials. <laughs> like, would you like to, are you like, James says, count it all joy. Like, um, I, I need some vision to be able to count it all joy. I need some supernatural intervention. I need some muscle, spiritual, uh, you know, toughness muscle to grow in me of, of seeing him be the provider, the one who rescues me, the one who walks me through the valley of darkness over and over again so that I have that oil, that oil of experience in my lamp of knowing that he's, he's got me. I, I want to take Paul's admonition when he said in Philippians 3, 14, and this is amplified, I press on towards the goal to win this supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling me upward. I need to know that I'm going to get a supreme and heavenly prize. How about you? <laughs> like, it's going to be so much better than the circumstances. It's going to be supreme. It's going to be heavenly. It's going to be above and beyond what I could even hope or imagine. Who knows what Christ has prepared for those that would remain faithful to him. I want to begin now to adjust my heart attitude. Isn't that what we want? So knowing that things are going to get harder ahead, James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I need that in front of me. I need to know there's a crown of life. I want to be thinking about these present, present um, and momentary afflictions are not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in me, the glory that will be revealed in you. Your present and momentary afflictions are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in you one day. Your glorified body is going to reflect, your closeness to Jesus reflect the choices, th- this, this choice you know, one of my, there is so many good examples throughout the Bible of people under pressure and what they did with trial, but King David is definitely like one of my faves. And 
Um, I mean, when we think about dealing with pressure and suffering, where do we think about going into the Bible? Like, I'm feeling suffering and pressure. Where should I go? What should I read? What do you guys read? When you're under intense pressure, you're feeling suffering, you're mourning, you've got grief. Is there a place you go read the Bible? <laughs> I don't mean physically where you go read. <laughs> Where in the Bible? I thought this would be a quick one, like Psalms. Like, I go to Psalms because I'm just like, I don't know if it's because you want to commiserate with somebody else that could, you know, could relate with how, how the struggle. But, I mean, this was David. Like, I mean, he, some of his Psalms were even, they dubbed them the suffering Psalms. They actually, there's, there's like, I don't know, like seven or eight of them or something like that that are dubbed the suffering Psalms. They were written during periods of adversity. And just... It was his crying out to the Lord, his, his zeal for righteousness, wanting to stay righteous in the middle of the pressure, like not to give in under it, but to, to refuse to sin. And so, um, yeah, there's many places to look, but this is like one of my, one of my favorites because um, you could see this process that David, his work, that, that God was taking him through. When you think about his intense suffering, it just... In fact, like, let me give you, I put this little chronology here because the, the book of David's history is Samuel and for Samuel. And that is a, um, that is definitely a very, that's too long of a book to read right here. <laughs> but like, so he was born in 1040 B.C., and, and then the first thing, you guys probably know what, well, even before this, by the way, before the big David and Goliath moment, right? That's one of them. Like, he wasn't exactly, like, loved and cherished in his family. Like, he wasn't esteemed. You can guess that he probably maybe had some relational issues going on there. Like, some dysfunction. You can see, you know, this prophet Samuel comes, and he's going to anoint one of um, Jesse's sons. And guess who doesn't even get invited to the party? Like, he's got to get all the way. Samuel's got to get all the way to the end of all the brothers. And he's like, are these all the kids you have? You got any more sons? Oh, that's right. We got another one out in the field, David. Let's go get him. Right? This is, this is where he was starting off to begin with. He was, you know, in, he was probably, he probably got the bottom of the barrel of jobs, household jobs. He was, he was the youngest. That was usually not the most esteemed person. And so um, that, was his, that was his introduction before his big David and Goliath um, moment. Even before that, we're not doing, like, this is really his David and Goliath moment is where we, we find out about the fact that the Lord gave him victory over, you know, bears and lions but, but quickly after this, like, he's got a brief moment of Mary the king's daughter, and then he's on the run. He, like, he's a fugitive from chapters 25 to 30. And then he becomes the king of Hebron. So he's got a little bit of a time. We know David has some sin with Bathsheba. You know, he, but, but what happens is even after that, there's, there's all this trouble you know, Amnon rapes his, his other daughter, Tamar. Absalom kills Amnon. He flees to Geshir for three. He stays there for three years. Then, of course, there's the revolt. Absalom, you know, returns to Jerusalem. David's on the run. Um, his son's trying to take over his kingdom. I mean, right? It's just, it, and it goes, it, there's, there was Sheba's rebellion. The battle against the Philistines. Even at the end, Adonijah is trying to take the kingdom from Solomon, and then David dies. <laughs> Some stuff. <laughs> there was like, um, 
I think this is why it's just, you can really feel, um, I feel encouraged when I read, when I read it, when I read David. So, all right, I got to get back to my place. So, David wrote some psalms where he was crying out to the Lord. He was suffering. But God was working in David's heart in a process, and that's the reason why I wanted to give you that chronology. When I think about even just the time that he was being hunted down by his father-in-law, like this is his father-in-law. This is, this is somebody he was serving in Saul's army. He was, uh, you know, the Bible says that Jonathan and, and David were like, they were like uh, bonded to one another. I'm losing the term right now, but um, they, their souls were knit together, the Bible says, I think. So when I reflect on how David was preparing, when God was preparing David early on in his life, um, you can see this progression of things that were happening. And I think about this time when there was obviously David and Goliath and the, that whole scene, and David comes to Saul and says, like, you know, I'll go. And Saul's like, you can't. You are a youth. And then David has to, like, tell him, hey, I've, I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. God, you know, God delivered them into my hands. And so I believe that what God was doing was he was preparing even prior to that, David, for that Goliath moment. He was preparing him. And then after that, for the next struggle, Psalms 118, 5 through 6 says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I think what happened even before David started running into these relational struggles, he'd already seen God deliver those that he was caring for, his sheep, from um, physical enemies. That prepared him as he fought against enemy armies, and then even just the relational pressure of his running from his own father-in-law. These were successive things that God allowed in David's life to build him into preparation. If you think about your own life here, God is giving us many opportunities like he did David to say yes to his leadership. And proven character is something that is us saying yes to him over and over and over again. It's like David, it wasn't over with David and Goliath and then everything else with his life was great because we both know, we all know that he's, he, he fell many, many times. We're um, facing pressure, um, persecution in a subtle way now, temptations, difficult circumstances. The transformation is, is not happening automatic, but we get a chance to respond rightly in faith. If we can immediately look at it and say, what, how am I supposed to look at this situation? Romans 5, 3 through 4, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character. I, you know, everybody's, everybody here is experiencing some kind of pressure. It's different. You know, maybe it's physical. Maybe there's physical things going on in your body. Maybe it's emotional pain. Maybe it's financial um, struggle, the unknown. Um, maybe it's relational fears. If you're struggling with um, anxiety, family issues, work issues. I mean, or just things like... Um, just just thing, things that just keep coming up. Like m maybe you thought they were dealt with, but then they keep coming. Or, or maybe, you know, I have a friend of mine who was like, I, 
I was doing so good. I'd, I'd been busy for so long. I'd been do, doing so good, and now it's just like slowed down for a minute. And then I'm realizing like there's all of this stuff that was just kind of like buried under my busyness that was undealt with. And the Lord is dealing with me right now, but it's but it's really hard. Like she's like I'm, I feel depressed. I'm I'm overwhelmed. And actually, that's not just one person. I think this is the case for. A lot of people. And so I think even in that moment, we can say, this is really hard, but God is with me in the hard. You know, this is like, sometimes it isn't just like a snap out of it. I don't, when you read the Psalms, you know, this is not the way it was for David. It wasn't just like, okay, get over it. God is good. He's got you. All right, dude, move on. (laughs) It's not, it doesn't go that way, right? And so the thing is, is that it's just, it, it, when I think sometimes I, somebody shared this with me, which I thought was so good. It was like, sometimes maybe you feel like, I feel like it's like, I'm just in this circle. It feels like I'm in this, just going in the, wait, how many times till I get, I get off this treadmill, this track. But the thing is, is that really, actually, this is what it feels like to us, but this is actually what it really looks like if we keep saying yes to God, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Think slinky. Does anybody know what a slinky is? Maybe that's aging me. <laughs> coil. <laughs> Think about a coil. Um, you know, it's just a circle and you spread it. They're like these circles that are going, going. So this is, and the thing is, is that this little thing could be like this in your life, right? These little circles that are really close together, like a collapsed coil or a collapsed slinky, or picture a stretched out slinky or a stretched out coil, or it could be like this, right? Because <laughs> it feels like a circle, but more progress is happening because it's about the way that we look at it, the way that we look at that thing that we're in the middle of. It doesn't mean that you're going to react, that I'm going to react right in every situation. Most of us don't in the minute, but then we regroup with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and we're like, you get, a, you get a check, and you get reconnected, and he gets us realigned. That's That's the whole thing that's happening there. Persecution is pressure. It's the type of pressure that was most mentioned in the New Testament. Because obviously we know they were like, they were definitely persecuted for their faith and so many martyrs. Perseverance that we just read about refers to our resolve to continually realign our hearts to love, to obey, to believe, to pursue Jesus instead of giving up. <laughs> like, I can't take anymore. I'm done. Uh, you know, giving in to sin, giving in to unbelief, um, giving in to maybe wrong thought patterns, just whatever the thing might be, giving in to, you know, looking at that situation that maybe we've been dealing with our family. We just, we're like, it, you know, it's never going to change. And, or, or maybe some other maybe hang-up that we have that we just feel like, I just can't seem to move past this thing. But, but we can't. We keep, saying, we keep saying yes, right? Pursuing Jesus with all our hearts. It's building that faith muscle, and resistance training builds muscle. Like, we all know that, right? Resistance training. You don't have to lift the weight necessarily, but you can actually just do these stretchy things. <laughs> um, I think David talked about this he called it something else, but I just think about the butterfly in the cocoon thing. The butterfly cannot be the butterfly without that 
pressure. Was there a different name for it? What's the name of the crystallis or something? Thank you. Is that the same as a cocoon? Maybe they're different. Okay. <laughs> One is easier to say than the other. Uh, so the proven character has to do with long-term change. It's my attitudes. It's my action. I'm trusting him with that money thing. I'm trusting him with that issue with my family. I'm trusting him with this struggle so that I, you know, yeah, every, that I just feel like I want to be done with. When I, when I persevere in a thing, I'm choosing to obey and trust God's leadership. I'm believing that he's got me. He's got the situation. I'm believing um, God's not worried. I'm believing God's not running out of time. I'm believing that God knows how to fix things in a minute. I'm believing that he's got a path that may look different than the one that I think is there. I'm believing that his ways are higher than my ways. And character gets built over time. This is the testimony of the Bible. When I look at the life of different people like David, Noah, Abraham, Joshua, Peter, like this is their testimony. Testimonies of failure, but then believing. When I think about David, I think about how um, he had this situation um, I think for Samuel, like around 25, where here he is, he's got all of his mighty men, they're, they're, they're on the run, and then and he's, he's doing a good thing, he's guarding, you know, Nabal, this, this property owner, this landowner, and what he does is he's, it's, it, it's coming around uh, uh, like harvest time, and so he sends a messenger over to Nabal and just says, hey, how would you, would you like to share with us, you know, this, at this time of celebration? And Nabal insults him, and, and basically he's like, my men, have, you haven't lost any sheep. You haven't been attacked by raiders, by enemies. I've been a wall around you, me and my men protecting you. Are you kidding me? He's like, I don't even know who you are. Who are you, David? You're probably some outlaw. You know, here he is. It's just a slap in the face of something that David and his men were doing, and that would take a whole time to talk about that whole thing. It's such a good story. Definitely go back and read it, but the thing... The thing that David did in that moment was he was like, all right, men, mount up, put your weapons on. We're, 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 going, we're basically taking that whole household down. You know, he's like, every male in Nabal's household will die. He, he, he had a war party on the way ready to take everybody down if it hadn't been for Nabal's wife, Abigail, who later became David's wife, who came and, and rescued David from his own anger, the zeal of his own anger, his, his own not, not letting God be the one that would be the vengeance, but to putting in his own hands. And in her wisdom, she was like, David, you are a man of God. You don't want to do this. You don't want this blood on your hand. You don't want to have a testimony of just because I could, I took matters into my own hands. But that you, you, let, you let God be the one that deals with it. And we know that God dealt with Nabon swiftly because he just, I think it's like the next day he fell down dead. And the reason why I give this story is because, yes, there's this failure, but the redemptive part about the failure is that David learned from that and he turned around in an encounter that he had with, with, with Saul not that long after. He actually had like several encounters with, with Saul. But one of those encounters, he basically, you know, when he, he had his sword and he had his water jug because David and Abishai, his nephew, they went into the enemy's camp, 
God supernaturally put 3,000 soldiers asleep. He went in there. He got his sword. He got his water jug. He got out of Dodge, got back out there. They wake up in the morning. He's like, hey, Abner, how's it going? You know, where's the king's sword? Where's the king's water jug? And then Abner's like, oh, boy. This is a humiliating moment for him as the commander of the army of Israel, and he did not even guard his, his king. It's, a, it's, such a, it's such a great story, but this is the thing that I want to bring up about it. David basically appealed to Saul's character about, you know, I, I have loved you. He didn't, he didn't accuse him. He didn't accuse him of all the things that were really true about Saul, but he was like, this is, this is what I've done to you. What have I done to you? You know, I've been nothing. I've nothing. I've loved you. I've served you. I'm basically a flea. You've, you've, you've got 3,000 men out here. You have, you have invested upteen gazillion amounts of resources to be able to hunt after one man because of your anger and your revenge. God was gracious. Not only, I mean, David was gracious. Not only did he not kill him when he could have, and he had two opportunities, but he, but he appealed to Saul in the same way that Abigail appealed to him, which is, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. You don't want to take matters into your own hands. Are you sure that this is what you want to do? David left Saul in God's hands. And it's such a testimony of he almost failed and God rescued him, but he had a chance to then take what he learned and did it right the next time. Was David done with his failures? No, he was not. But he's continuing on this journey of somebody that was wrestling out in human, um, human frailty, but continuing to go back to God quickly. I, I love the, the story where Nathan confronts him about his sin with Bathsheba, and he just repents right away. So the thing is, is that God, in his mercy... Um, build up their most holy faith in a process, and he does the same with us. When I think about watch, pray, and be ready, um, I think about this is the part about me being ready. There's the watching, there's the praying, but then there's the, like, being ready, like, what's my, my own heart? Continuing to get my own heart more dependent on him, more surrendered in him. James one twelve Amplified, blessed, happy, to be envied is the man who is patient under trial and stands up under temptation. For when he has stood the test and been proved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. David feared God, not man. Like a key issue in David's life um, was that, was, was who he looked to as his primary source. His primary, his primary source of promotion and resource, who is going to move him forward into where he wanted him to be. It related to God's will in his life. He did not need Saul's favor to fulfill God's will in his life. He trusted God. So, you know, when we often look to people as our primary source, instead of seeing them as secondary, he, he just, he wants us to trust him. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father to be vindicated in the right way and in the right timing. The Lord will provide for, and he will vindicate his people in his time, in his way. Like, I, I often say, nobody's going to get away with anything. I'm not going to get away with anything, which is the reason why I want to humble myself and fall upon the mercy of the Lord. 
because he's just, right? The enemies of the Lord, if they don't repent, they are not going to get away with anything. They are going to suffer damnation and the judgment of God, not just in this lifetime, but into eternity. So we entrust God. Um, we, we, we believe he's got our future, and he, we're in tr- we trust him in things that don't go the way that we think they're going to go. We trust him in injustices. We trust him in mistreatment. We trust him in um, when we're hurting, when our body is not cooperating the way that we want to. You know, we trust him with the struggles that are just the everyday and then the above, the above that. I think another neat way to look at sometimes the perspective on David was that God anointed David not just for David's sake, but God anointed David for his glory, for God's glory, to be an instrument in the life of other people. So God allows, he allowed circumstances in David to build his character and he allows the circumstances in us because it isn't always about us, but it's about what he's going to do in that circumstance that we're in the middle of. So as we kind of wind up, like, how, how do I respond to pressure? This is a question that I continually ask myself. How am I responding to the pressure? How quickly am I running to him? What's my conversation like? Why are you... Why are you up- Set Paula, what what is at the source of this? Trying to get down to it. Usually what happens is it boils down to there's some area that I'm not completely trusting in God in. Like an obvious one. And he he keeps taking us deeper into things. Like I feel like I feel like God really has taught me a lot about trusting him in finances. Um and so it was, and I could see people around me struggling in this area more than I was struggling. But then I, then I had a relapse, <laughs> and it was like God was dealing with me again on it because it was like, oh Lord, I see that I'm, I really am not trusting you. I can see that this situation has exposed the fact that my attitude about this isn't right, and I'm trying to fix this in my own strength and not in trusting you. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it's just a constant invitation. I love the authenticity in David's life where this humility kept him running to God. And so as I say, how do we respond to trouble? I'm going to come back to what, how David did. This is um, Psalms 31, 9 through 19. By the way, like his response is different in some of the different Psalms. Like some of them I can see he is, he is, is so intense, like kill my enemies, <laughs> You know, cut their off, cut their offspring off. You know, wipe them from the face of the earth. You know, and then other times, you know, it's not it's not quite that intense. You know, you can see like there was this growth process. This is Psalms thirty one, nine through nineteen. If you want to read with me, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief. And my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and am repulsive to my acquaintances, those who see me outside flee from me. 
I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust. So he's like, here it is, Lord. I'm telling you all of it. This is, and you know what? Some of this might be true, but maybe it all wasn't. But this is what he was, this is what he was pouring out to the Lord, right? But, but then he's like, but, verse 14, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. I think it's interesting. He, I, I believe he said it. He probably wrote it. He probably sang it because this is a psalm, which is the most powerful way to do it. But if you're not in a position where you can just sing that thing out like, Lord, I trust you. I trust you, Lord then the thing is, is definitely, if you, even if you sing it, say it, but we do it, it's like we arrest ourselves and in, in bring us into alignment with the right thinking. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. You've got me. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies. Like he already said before, he was like, you know, what can man do to me? But he probably has to keep coming back to remind me because he had some serious enemies all around him. And some of these enemies were just not foreign armies. These were like people that he used to like do army life with, military life. You know what I mean? He was like, he, you know, he knew Abner. Abner's in charge of a, a 3,000 men coming after him to kill him. I mean, man, that's intense. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant because... He obviously believed, that's it, that's enough. You shine on me, it's over. Save me, for my, save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Because no one who puts their trust in him will ever be put to shame. He's like, this is the answer. Don't let me be ashamed because I've called on you, so I can't be put to shame because you're the one I put my trust in. I, you know, I may not deserve to be vindicated, but you are good, and I'm trusting in you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silent, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. So he's like, ugh. Then he's like, verse 19, oh, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Oh, how great are you? Oh, you've got this, Lord. Oh, my times are in your hands. What can man do to me? If he who is the maker of the whole universe is for me, who can be against me? Like, but he had to remind himself. (laughs) He had to write, you know, he had to get, with him and keep saying these things because they weren't internalized into his heart yet and they're not internalized in my heart and they may not be internalized in your heart so it's like we keep coming back to it so just as we close here um, I'm going to pray Lord uh, and the worship team you can come up Lord Jesus we declare an agreement with you right now that our times are in your hands we agree with you right now that the times of Israel are in your hands and Lord we just want to bring our whole mind will and emotions into agreement with you Lord we just confess to you right now that we do not approach pressure with 
joy and gladness. Lord, we need vision for the fact that you are making us a bride that's ready, that we come to you this morning, we confess we're full of spots and wrinkles, and you're the only one that can work those out. Lord, we thank you that you actually are allowing circumstances to come in our life and maybe come into our life over and over and over again in certain areas because these are the areas that you really want to work on and you want to liberate us and you want us to believe who you are as almighty God, sovereign, and you want us to know who we are as your precious children, loved by you. Heavenly Father, we pray that um, we would we would have faith. We want our faith to grow, Lord. We, we know we're like Peter. Like, we want to come out on the water with you, but we just, some of us are struggling. I know, Lord, I just struggle to even get out of the boat, let alone walk on water even for a microsecond. Lord Jesus, we're just asking, would you increase our capacity to keep our gaze set on you? where we don't look to the right or to the left, but we only look at you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know how to clear, um, yet like you made a path through the Red Sea, through millions of gallons of water and, and other challenges, and you brought your people through it. Lord, we know that you're not trying to give us a life that doesn't have struggle or pressure, but in your mercy, you actually are allowing these things because you really want to build our faith muscle. You want to build our proven character that is built over not just isolated trials, but continuous things. The pressure continues to bring us into this place of depending on you and getting a deeper revelation of who you are. Lord, would you adjust my attitude? Would you adjust our attitude so that we can see the goodness in it, see that you are bringing us into the fullness of the character that you want us to have, that we'd be full of hope, that we'd be full of the knowledge and the confidence of your goodness and your faithfulness. So, Lord, we just want to let you teach us how to approach trials, pressures, tribulations, let our response be filling our lamp with the oil of the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name.